God's Valentine card to his church. 1 Corinthians 13. Find 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. We're going to veer off from our study in Hebrews to look at a passage that has to do with the topic of love, with this, of course, being uh, Valentine's Day week. So I hope you're ready for that. And even if you don't have a sweetheart, uh, this passage is still for you because there are people in your circles of influence that need Christian love. Amen? Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? And as we read this passage, I want you to uh, listen for a few things. First of all, he talks about the value of love. And then beginning in verse 4, he's going to talk about the virtues of love. Okay? I want you to listen for some of these things. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, we've seen earlier in the service the scripture that was read uh, at the beginning of the service about the greatest commandment of all is to love you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our body, all of our strength, all of our soul. And the second commandment, like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. All of the law and the prophets hanging on those two commands. And then Jesus said to his disciples that it would be by their love for one another that the world would see that they were his disciples. Lord, I pray that 
Certainly without sacrificing truth one bit. But that we would also be a loving people. Truth energized by love. Lord, we live in a world today that's more divided than certainly I can ever remember in my lifetime. It seems like everyone is divided over something. And forgive us in the church if we have been a part of that in any way. Lord, help us to show to the world the more excellent way. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If we were going to look for a Valentine's Day card from the Lord, I would think this chapter would certainly have to be that. Now folks, I want to remind you about the situation at Corinth. If you're not very familiar with uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, let me set the table a little bit for uh, what Paul is doing here. The church at Corinth was apparently a very unhealthy church. They were divided over so many things that were going on around them. And they were part of that. Rather than being a witness against it, they were actually a part of it. They were divided over personalities in the church. There would be those in the church that would say, you know, I'm of Paul. I like the Apostle Paul. Yeah, he's not much to listen to in person, but if you read his letters, wow, what a theologian. I'm of the Paul group, and somebody else would say, well, I'm of that Simon Peter group. Somebody else would say, have you ever heard Apollo speak? Boy, you want to talk about somebody who is an uh, orator. Somebody who's eloquent. If you hear Apollos speak, you're not going to be happy to really hear anybody else after him. And on and on and on they went with those divisions that he talks about in chapter 1. And then they were also suing one another. They were taking one another to secular courts before unbelieving judges... And they were suing their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul said to them, would it not be better to take the loss than to do something like that? There was immorality in the church. Corinth was like the Las Vegas of its day. It was a port town. Sailors coming in and out, then they had a pagan temple. And what made the city of Corinth even more immoral is that that pagan temple, they had male and female prostitutes. And in this pagan religion they had, they had this weird idea that as you're serving that idol, that false god, that if you have uh, intimate relations with one of the temple prostitutes, it's going to link you up better with that deity. So stuff like that was going on in their town. 
They were divided over gifts of the Spirit. They liked the more sensational gifts. If there was somebody that had a gift that had a wow factor to it, boy, they really liked that. They were drawn to that. Now that sets the stage for what he says in chapter 13. At the end of chapter 12, Paul said in the midst of this discussion about gifts, he said, I want to show to you a more excellent way. And then he goes in to to what's commonly referred to as the love chapter. In other words, the way of love is the more excellent way. Whatever someone's gift is, however important they think they are, they need to ask themselves, am I carrying out my gift in love? Am I building others up in the body of Christ? Am I praying for them and encouraging them and strengthening them? Do I come to church with the attitude of what's in it for me or do I come with the attitude, what can I do for you? Now, a word of caution is in order as we read a chapter like this. The world will try to tell us that truth and doctrine does not matter just as long as you love. The Bible doesn't support that at all. In fact, the Bible says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Likewise, some will only want to talk about the love of God and they'll ignore God's holiness, God's justice, God's wrath. I don't know if you realize this or not, the Bible speaks more about the wrath of God than it does about the love of God. Folks, we cannot pull out one attribute of God and look at one attribute of God in isolation from the others as though you can divide God up like he's some kind of pie for dessert. Theologians have spoken of the the doctrine of the simplicity of God. Today it would be better the unity of God. The, The doctrine of the simplicity of God says just that. You can't pull out just one attribute and forget about all the others. The world may want to pull out love and and just think about, oh, God is love and not think about anything else. You can't do that. You have to look at the whole picture. But certainly we do want to talk about the love of God. It's very real. And what we see in this passage is that truth is to be energized by love. One scholar says that this chapter is the greatest, strongest, deepest thing that Paul ever wrote. And folks, what we see here is that the central thing in the life of the church is not simply the carrying out of the gifts, but the practicing of the gifts done out of Christian love. Now, first of all, let's go back to what I told you to be looking for. 
First of all, he talks about the value of love. Look again at the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is to be the driving force behind all that we do. Now right away Paul sets up some different scenarios here. Let's say I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Let's say I have the gift of prophecy. Or let's, let's say that I know deep mysteries that others only wonder about. Or let's say that I have that mountain moving type of faith. Don't stop there though. Let's say that I'm so benevolent that I give away everything that I have. And I'm even willing to lay down my own life. Now wouldn't that make somebody like that a pretty wonderful person? Wouldn't you like to meet somebody like that? Well, let's think about all this. The tongues of men and of angels. We see the gift of tongues that surfaces in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Different languages on the day of Pentecost. The word meant languages. Understandable languages. That... You had not learned, but on, at Pentecost they were able to speak these languages. Now it's interesting, it appears to have even diminished some before the New Testament was complete. You don't find it present in any of the other New Testament letters. You don't see the gift of tongues in the book of Romans. You don't see it in Galatians. You don't see it in Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or anywhere for that matter as you go through the New Testament. If it's so critical to being a believer or being filled with the Spirit as some groups try, uh, try to say today, you would certainly expect to see it connected with passages that have to do with salvation or have to do with being filled with the Spirit. And yet there's a strange silence. We only see it in a couple of places in the book of Acts where it's clear that it's languages being spoken. And we see it being perverted at Corinth. The Corinthian letters shouldn't be used to define everything else about the gift because again at Corinth they were actually distorting the gift. To explain it another way, if you were teaching about driving the speed limit, I may not be your best argument. (laughs) You follow what I'm saying? (laughs) We shouldn't use the Corinthian correspondence as the gold standard about tongues. In Acts, it was a sign that the gospel was meant for Gentiles, not just for Jews. It was a a sign gift to unbelieving Jews that God was extending the good news about Jesus Christ to Gentiles. 
That was a tough lesson for Jews to have to learn. At Corinth, they had perverted the gift. They had tried to make the gift some type of of private prayer language that was meant to build you up, the individual up. And that's not what's being taught in the New Testament. He's describing somebody here too with an impressive... Ability, an impressive command of language. Somebody that can mesmerize a crowd with words. Maybe he was speaking of Apollos. That silver-tongued orator in the early church. If I can speak, if I can preach God's word, even with the power and eloquence of somebody like an Apollos, it's no good without love. Then the gift of prophecy, the ability to know and declare the will of God. It refers to the proclamation of the word of God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Before the canon of the New Testament was completed, it was used in the sense of foretelling. To say God will do this and then God would do that. Today it's used in the sense of foretelling. In other words, foretelling what God has already written in his word. God's not writing new books in the Bible. You don't need to run down to Lifeway every week and buy a new version of the Bible because this week God's written something new to go in it. If somebody ever tells you there's new revelations from God that are being given all the time, then you need to run the other way. The special knowledge, he says here. If I have special knowledge and know all mysteries, it it refers to the kind of person that God gives to the church that everybody looks to as having a, a great head on their shoulders. The kind of person when the church is facing big decisions, they seem to be able to, to steer the right course, have wisdom and good sense or discernment. It would be men in the Bible like Joseph. Or Daniel. Then he mentions the person with mountain moving type of faith. He's not talking about saving faith here. But somebody who not only has saving faith. But this miracle working type of faith. Able to move mountains became a proverbial way of, of, of describing a miracle working type faith. This is the type of person that that people go to with prayer requests and and say, pray for me. Boy, you've got that special connection with God. And then he mentions here people with gifts of giving. And it's interesting in the original language how he sets it up. He's describing somebody who takes their vast array of wealth and they divide it up into little morsels and so they can give a whole bunch of it out to a large number of people, the, 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 the largest number of people. Now, on the surface, it's hard to imagine somebody doing that without love being the motive. But just remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke about people going into the temple and throwing their gifts in the coffers and doing it in such a way that they would call attention to themselves. Then he mentions a strange one here to some people, body to be burned. 
You might have in mind like the three Hebrew youths in the book of Daniel. They would rather surrender their bodies to the flames than to compromise their faith. And and so he's describing somebody here that's willing to be a martyr for Christ rather than to compromise. Now folks, you read this list and and you have to admit it's an impressive list. And yet what does he say about it? What's he say about all these various things? Without love, they don't mean anything. Again, it's hard to imagine somebody doing these without love, but I think it's a reminder that folks can do all kinds of wonderful things out of motives other than love. If they're doing it to call attention to themselves or how much they have or their ability to do something, it it tends to cause division in the body, not unity in the body. And so it's love that God recognizes. Truth energized by love. The word used here is agape love, self-giving type love. A a type of love that was unknown in the pagan world. It was Christianity that made agape love famous. It's the word that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the type of love that you and I are to show to one another. It's the type of love that the, the unbelieving world world would look at us and they would say wow I see something different in them than I see going on in the world today I see division and fighting and bickering going on in the world today but I come to that church fellowship and man there's something else I see in them I want that It's kind of like the fella somebody asked one time said, why do you drive 30 minutes across town and pass about 15 churches to go to that church? And he said, because they really know how to love a fella down there. Before we move on, let's bring these verses down even more to our level. You can go to church every Sunday and it's it's a big fat zero if you're not filled with love. You can tithe. It's a big fat zero if you're not doing it out of love. You can spend four days a week volunteering at the hospital or Salvation Army or at church. Again, it's nothing if love is not your your motive. Folks, there are radical Muslim terrorists in the world today who because of their religion will strap a bomb onto themselves and walk into a marketplace and kill 30 people. They have religion. It's not that they don't have religion. It's false religion. And they sacrifice everything for the sake of of their religion. They'll even lose their life. But they certainly don't have love. You can do all kinds of stuff. Church stuff and religious stuff. And yet if you're prideful, if you're arrogant, if you're grouchy, if you're hateful and critical and unkind and uncaring. Paul is saying your religion is worthless. It's in vain. If it's all about you. 
It's worthless. It's in vain. It's hard for us to imagine people doing what Paul is saying here. But, but again, folks, I, I have, I've heard ministers tell stories before of certain groups in their church. I hope you don't do this. Certain groups ask to do something and they'll say, no, 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 let such and such group over there do that. We're not going to do that. Somebody says, so you want them to sacrifice and pay the price and make adjustments, but you're not willing to? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, what about that other group? You don't care about them? No, let them have to worry about that. I've heard comments like that. Paul says if that's you, your religion is nothing. It's not even the real thing. Somebody says, Pastor Scott, I I can't live up to this standard. You're right. You can't live up to this. But who is it that we get in our lives at the moment of conversion? We get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us can do it. Amen? Well, let's talk about the virtues of love. Look at what he begins saying in, in, in verse 4. Here, here we see what true love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know, when we talk about love, there's a lot of cheap imitations out there in the world, aren't there? Lots of cheap imitations. The explosion of couples living together today without the commitment of marriage, that's a cheap imitation. I wish people would think about that. Here's somebody saying, I love you, but they're not willing to commit to you in marriage. They want the benefits of marriage without cost and sacrifice. Is that really love? No. A person is really, they're not saying, I love you. They're saying, I love me. I love myself too much. Lots of cheap imitations out there. Paul wants them to see the real thing. You know, it's hard to give a Webster's type definition of love. It's a whole lot easier to describe love. And that's what he's doing here. And he wants them to see that love is not just simply some kind of a feeling. It's, it's not some emotional feeling that's going to hit you today and it might not. It might be there, it might not. The feeling of love will be there but it will be as a result of the following things. Feelings, in other words, are, are the fruit of actions. People want the feelings without the actions. That's backwards. I tell couples in marriage counseling, if you start doing the things that you used to do when you grew into love with one another, guess what? The love will come back. The feeling of love will come back. They'll say, but preacher, I don't feel like it. Well, I know you don't feel like it because you've started doing actions that don't result in love. 
But if you go back and start doing the actions that result in love, guess what? The feelings are going to come back. Here might be a couple that's at one another's throats. They don't feel it anymore. And I understand that. Change your actions and then your feelings will change. A young man starts courting a young lady and he's bringing her flowers and doing nice things for her and and she's doing nice things for him. And pretty much what do they say? They say, oh, we're, we're in love. Yes, they're in love. They grew into love. They didn't, you don't fall in love like it's falling down some kind of bottomless pit. You grow in love. So what are the actions that help love grow? And folks, it ought to be our prayer. God, help me to carry out these actions like this. What's he say first of all? Love, what could we say is is the first action behind love that he gives here? Love is what? It's patient. Love has the capacity to endure tough times. This word is used almost exclusively with regards to being patient with people. Long-suffering with people. Not simply circumstances. True love endures people with all the hang-ups that they come with because guess what? We have hang-ups too. This one can be a hard one in church life at times, right? The Bible says, though, love will be patient. It will endure. We must be patient with one another. We must be long-suffering with one another. That's a mark of maturity. Jesus even illustrated being being long-suffering with even enemies. Somebody asks you to go one mile with them and carry their burden. You go two miles with them. Patience. God is patient, not willing that any should perish. So if we're going to be like Him, we need to be patient and long-suffering. Couples, are you patient with one another? Husbands, wives... Then he says love is kind. This is the positive side of patience. It not only endures, but it responds with kindness. It returns kindness when the flesh might want to respond with something else. Maybe vindictiveness. If we return bad with bad, we just keep the cycle of bad stirred up. But if we return bad with kindness, we break the cycle. Then he says, love is not jealous. This this refers to envy. Love is not displeased or jealous or envious over the successes of others. Sometimes we hate it when good things happen to somebody else and they didn't happen to me. Right? It's hard to rejoice with somebody over their successes if you're not enjoying those same successes. But the Bible says here that that true love, true God-honoring, Christ-honoring love is not going to be envious. 
Somebody says, I'm jealous because he's got 36 in his class. I've only got a dozen people in my class. Be happy for that person that's reaching people for Christ. He goes on to say, love, love does not brag. You see what he's doing? Giving virtue after virtue. Love does not brag. The Corinthians were bragging over their abilities. They were, they were building up their spiritual gift and they were downplaying the gifts of others. They were causing division in the body because they were claiming to be more needful or, or useful. Could you imagine that going on in a church? People actually walking around in the church saying, you know what? The church needs me more than it needs you. Paul says to the Galatians, if there's going to be boasting in the church, what are we to boast in? We're to boast in the cross of Christ. He says, love does not act unbecomingly or rude. I've seen spouses that choose a public setting to put the other one down. Have you ever been out to eat with somebody and, and they do that? Can make you very uncomfortable, can it? Sometimes people in church are rude to, to others in church and say, you know what? That's just the way I am. I call it like I see it. No, it's not that. It's your sin in action and you need to repent of your sin. Love is not self-seeking. Agape, love by its very nature, is giving. It's giving. It's it's sacrificing for the benefits of other people. Sometimes groups in the church, I mentioned groups a moment ago, can demand the best of everything. Oh, you know, I want this, I want that. Let them have that. Boy, we want the best preacher. We want this rumor. We want these supplies. Let them have the leftover. You want to see a grown man sometimes act like a two-year-old toddler? Move his Sunday school class. (laughs) And you know what I think of when I see something like that? I think, you know what? That's what his wife has to put up with at home. Men, why are the ladies laughing so hard? (laughs) Love is not easily provoked. A lot of people hide behind being in a bad mood when when they're just simply not right spiritually. They blow up. They're easily angered. Folks, that's not just an emotional problem. That's a spiritual problem. There's a lot of people running around in our world today saying, you know what, I've got anger issues. No, it's deeper than that. You've got spiritual issues. You've got spiritual issues. That's, That's the root of the problem. Somebody gets in a church meeting and and acts out. It's spiritual issues. They need to grow up. Nobody should ever have to walk on eggshells around you and me. Nobody. Nobody. 
Then he mentions no records of wrong being kept. Boy, here's a, here's a marriage killer, right? I remember when you burned the biscuits 25 years ago, and I hadn't forgotten that yet. How about in a church fellowship when one man, for example, never lets another man forget what he did 15 years ago? What if God kept a record of every little wrong we had ever done to him? And then God held that against us. We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? And actually... That's what's going to happen apparently. What's the Lord's prayer say? Lord, forgive our debts says what? We forgive those who have debts against us. Lord, forgive me to the same standard and degree I forgive others. Wow, think about that. Could you live by that? But apparently that's the standard that God is going to apply. The same way you measure out things to others, that's the standard God's going to use. You know what we ought to do? We ought to say, God, this week, God, treat others or treat me exactly the way I treat others boy that'll make you think what you do won't it then he goes on to say love does not rejoice in, in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth you'll see something on TV uh, a group of little league parents gets in a fight and, and those not involved in the fight are cheering on the others you don't see much of people doing the right thing do you and, and people cheering that on saying you know what you did the right thing that's great what you did instead of cheering on sin we need to cheer on good things Don't rejoice in wrongdoing. Rejoice in the right. Rejoice in truth. Then he says here, love bears all things. Has the idea of protecting or covering. Uh, Noah's sons, remember Noah's sons? Found him laying naked, drunk. One son wanted to expose their father's nakedness. The other two sons covered him up. There are some people who see somebody doing something wrong. They want to advertise it to everybody. You know what so-and-so did? And we advertise it. Take out a billboard. (laughs) And boy, we do that in in church a lot of times through prayer concerns. Did did you hear so-and-so? He got fired from his job this week. That's what I heard. He must have done something wrong. Oh, don't tell anybody though. Just pray for him. The picture here though, the best picture is what Jesus did for us. What did he do on the cross? He covered our sins. He doesn't say, Father, look. Just look at what Scott did. Look at what so-and-so did. Heavenly Father, strike them dead. No, he covered our sins has anybody ever goofed on something at your work in your office 
And instead of you trying to rub their nose in it or make them look bad to the group, maybe in the conference room, a presentation, you went back and just kind of quietly fixed things so they wouldn't look bad. That's what love does. Then he says, love believes all things. Not looking for the worst in people. Not being cynical about everything. But instead giving people the benefit of the doubt. Somebody says, you said this or that. The other person says, yeah, I did. But uh, trust me, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to hurt you. Uh, what should we say? Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Folks, in our culture today, we need to look over a list like this. I, I don't know about you, but... but As a society, we have lost the ability today to be kind and generous with others. And we've lost the ability to blush. Our culture is more rude and more crude and socially unacceptable than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And social media is just adding to it. I tell you what, on your social media accounts, look at 1 Corinthians 13. Everything he's saying, everything you post on your social media account, can it pass the test that he's giving here in 1 Corinthians 13? If it can't pass this test, don't post it. And then finally he talks about the unvarying nature of love. The unvarying nature of love. He says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide thee three but the greatest of these is love now there's different opinions about what it means for the perfect to come and and the gifts to be done away with now now keep in mind that that all of the bible wasn't complete yet so some feel like it means once the scripture was completed then all these gifts would be done away with because we'd have the complete scripture we wouldn't need the other gifts now that sounds good on the surface And certainly the word of God is perfect, refreshing the soul. But I don't think that's what Paul means. Others feel like what he means by the perfect coming is that when the Corinthians finally grow up and practice love, then the other gifts won't be needed. Love expressed in a Christ-like manner, in other words, will supersede all the gifts. Again, there's truth in that. But I think the key to the text is what he says in verse 12. In verse 12 he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I think what he's speaking of is when we get to heaven. That's the perfect that will come. He's not talking about the complete canon of Scripture being completed or anything like that, as good as that argument might be. He's talking about when we get to heaven, love will never go out of style. All of the gifts that are given to the church now so that we can do ministry in a lost world, we won't need those gifts. 
We won't need something like prophecy in heaven. But love will be there. Paul uses two illustrations, childhood and mirrors. Childhood versus manhood. What childhood is to manhood, so this current present age is to the age to come. All the things children do as children, men don't do. Men put away childish things. When we get to heaven, all the many things the church does now, we won't need. And then mirrors reflect uh, face to uh, mirrors versus face to face. The mirrors of that day were polished metal. They were flawed. Some of them would only give a dim reflection. That's descriptive of this age. We see. Dimly. But then in heaven one day we'll see what? Perfectly. We'll see face to face. And the one thing that will never go out of style in heaven is what? Love. And so what's Paul saying? Paul is saying even now in this current age we need to live as kingdom citizens. We need to live as kingdom citizens. He's saying quit living like children. Quit backbiting. Quit fighting. Quit being full of envy and jealousy. That's how children act. When they're playing in their sandboxes with their toys. But you need to grow up. And you need to act now. The way it'll be when we're finally face to face. And so I want to ask you today, how's your love life? Again, put 1 Corinthians 13 over top of your life. How you treat your wife, your husband, your parents, your children, your siblings... How you treat one another in the church. How about those at work? Can you lay 1 Corinthians 13 down over top of your life? And is it the true model of how you treat others? Well, if not, then repentance is in order. Wherever your life doesn't match up to the plumb line of God's word, what's the intent of God's word? The intent of God's word is so that the Holy Spirit will take it in our lives and bring about repentance so that we will come in line with the will of God. Can you say that 1 Corinthians 13 is the will of God? Is it the will of God? Yes. So God, bring my love life in accordance with the plumb line of your word in 1 Corinthians 13. And by the way, this week, in your prayer time, in your devotion time, take out some of these virtues, patient, kind, not arrogant, bearing all things. Start praying those things. Lord, help my life towards my mate. To be like this. Do you know the greatest love of all? And that's Jesus. 
If you don't, then you need to come to Him today. You need to experience His love. He's the one that will begin this transformation in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for a passage that's just so practical where we live every day. Lord, it can be convicting to read a list like this. Because tragically, so oftentimes, even we as your people fall short of this. Forgive us. Lord, may we display these virtues so that somebody from the world lost coming in here, associating with our family, seeing us at work, would say, wow, there is something very, very different about his life or her life. So that when we open our mouth and share our testimony, our testimony is believable because they see it. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.